here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. And we're back with Hysteria. It's except we're not allowed on hysteria. <laughs> we're breaking the rules. We actually should have you guys on hysteria. I've been on hysteria. What? I asked what, like a question <gasps> at the Outside Lands live show. Oh, I was there. Yeah. What was your question? Remember, I asked about um, the Meg. Oh yeah. Oh Sorry. yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Scanned my way on. Wow. <laughs> but hi, Grace Carr is here. Hello. I'm so fucking glad to be here, guys. When Long Grace Moore appears, oh. it's just like you're in, immediately invigorated. <laughs> it's it's just, just like champagne bubbles the person. <laughs> I don't do cocaine because I don't know what would happen. Okay, right. I think yeah. it would just, it just I would explode into lots of little champagne bubbles. That's, we could fix that. Though. <laughs> That's funny that you say that. When I was on years ago, when I was on uh, Jeopardy, there was I, yes. I read the YouTube comments on me, and the why would you ever do? That? I know, right? It was, it was a dumb idea. <laughs> The comment that sticks with me is someone goes, he's not campy, but he is cokey. <laughs> that stuck with me. Cokey personality. Cokey, but not campy. See, I think that's a little bit of an insult. I, I feel know. Like a little bit of camp to you as well. I, I'm, I'm wearing a Dionne Warwick shirt Come right on. now. Cokey, our favorite news anchor. Oh, no. R.I.P. Yeah. Wow, that was a nice tie-in. Yeah, it was. That's what I do here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I tie things in like Trooper. Alex B. Keaton. <laughs> Familiarly. I am very happy you're here, Grace, oh, because so first be of all, two things you need to get out of the way. Let's just do it. First of all, I found out recently on Twitter <laughs> that you worked on Jonas. I was a writer. This is my very first professional writing job. I was a writer on Jonas L.A., which is the second season of the Jonas Brothers show mm -hmm. uh, starring uh, Nick, Joe, and Kevin Jonas. Yeah. And the bonus Jonas on occasion when we could have him. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. We had to they, write him in. They have the other one. They have the other one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jonas Salk, the virologist. My, <laughs> my favorite thing about Jonas is before it was a sitcom about them just being in L.A., <laughs> Um, well, what was the first season set? Great, great premise. I have no idea. Probably Jersey. It was weird, right? Well, the original premise of the show was that it was called J-O-N-A-S. Correct. And it was about them being spies. It stood for Junior Operatives. Networking as Spies. That's right. That's right. Jonas. Rarely will an acronym have ass in it. <laughs> <laughs> Seems sort of unprofessional. <laughs> um, and you know what? I never saw an episode of the first season of that show. Mm. So I went in to meet with the showrunners and I was a fraud, a, a fraud, a fraud from the beginning. And it was also my first my first meeting to meet on a show. I just come from doing Writers on the Verge, which is this NBC writers program. And it was a great experience. Oh, great experience. Good. Top to bottom. Amazing first experience because you're sitting around with eight other adults who were like, we are writing for the Jonas Brothers on a Disney show and we're in the middle of Calabasas somewhere and we're also shooting at this house in Malibu because the whole thing essentially took place at the Joe Bros house mm -hmm. and uh, so it's beautiful beautiful experience um, I do remember distinctly one quick anecdote 
uh, there was a role that was written for a semi-love interest for Nick. Now, Nick at the time, 16, 17. Yeah, child. But very handsome. Mm -hmm. And I whispered that because it feels weird to even say this now. At the right, time yeah. I was no, like, I'm worried for you. Yeah. <laughs> the time I was like, hey, 23 or 24, whatever. Like, At the time we were young enough to be lusting off of the Jonas Brothers. Absolutely. Okay, thank yeah. you. Thank you. And still are, I think. Uh, and so, so there was this role that was written. And so they had me read it at the table. And afterwards, Nick comes up to me and he's like, you should just do this part. And I was, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, sure. Thanks, Nick. That's so funny. And, but I didn't know, I didn't know what to do at the time because I, I can't, I'm a staff writer on the show. Mm -hmm. I can't go up to the showrunners and be like, hey, so Nick wants to like focus me in this episode. That's cool, right? Also, he's 16. So the whole, right. the whole part of me being like, what does this mean? And why is he doing this? Very strange. Totally inappropriate. Wonderful. Though. I guess say also, maybe he would then forget it. And then if you brought it up, it seemed like you were, you exactly. know. Exactly. Like, I'm the cuckoo bananas exactly, one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I never. I never said that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Who is she? <laughs> Who is she? Exactly. Trapped. Yeah. Wow. But I can't believe Nick Jonas tried to set you up. A little bit. A little bit. But wow. now, you know, then it's like he was dangerous liaison for you. <laughs> Oh, wow. I wish he had that capability. I would watch that. I would watch that. Also, Only Kevin has that capability. True. Um, years ago, a couple years ago now, I punched up for one day a pilot that Grace did that was so funny. She yes. was like a Daily Show style show. Yes. And you were so authoritative and ra and I'm glad you have a place at Crooked where you get to exercise. Yes. That, but it was so cool well, to see. And you had motherfucking... You. Barbara Boxer on the Barbara show. Barbara Boxer, Santi Gold, Santi Gold was, was the, our guys. It was yeah. incredibly legitimate. It was very, it was very. Well, Lewis was fucking genius, so I brilliant. Not, All of his jokes are just. I was like, yes, 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 yes. I have finally got someone on the show to talk <gasps> to me about Succession. <gasps> yes, yes, I'm, I'm a sorry, huge fan. Lewis. Get I'm, this. I actually just <laughs> kept, randomly catch an episode the other day. It is addictive. I just need to watch the whole thing. Wait, it's brilliant. Like a pilot? Or? No, I, it was an episode with Holly Hunter, so it might have been oh. the most recent episode. Yes, yeah, she's yeah. in the second season. And she's and Jerry Jones. Jones. Yes. Yeah. And also, Jeannie Berlin from The Heartbreak Kid is on this show. What am I doing not watching this? Anyway. <laughs> You'll love it. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. It is... Dynasty written by straight men, but uh, <laughs> but weirdly very entertaining. It's unbelievably entertaining. It is funny. It is dark. It's masochistic. There's um, people are constantly doing drugs on it. Uh -huh. right. People are constantly telling each other to fuck off uh -huh. on it. Uh, everyone is a horrible human being. All of them are horrible. They all have weird sexual proclivities. Yeah. Uh, also, Kendall on that show, to me, looks like what Don Draper would look like in real life. You know, yes. just like that yes. kind of glum, like a real macabre sort of sadness about yes. it. Well, yeah, in the 60s, you sort of would idolize someone like Don, and I feel like Mad Men did for a few seasons before we switched to Peggy's perspective and okay. realized Don was trash. <laughs> but from the beginning, you feel bad. I still root for Kendall. Oh, me too, absolutely. And but I, I know, I, but I know that he's a miserable people. I think that Logan roots for him too. I mm -hmm. know that Logan roots for him too. Well, I felt like really emotional in my heart this week when he defended Roman when Logan yeah. slapped him. Yes. It's a good episode. It was Roman a great is Kieran Culkin. Yes. Roman I've come Kieran around Culkin. on him. I thought he was the weakest actor at first. And now in the episode I saw he's he's sort of sunk into this douchebag role, really living it now. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, think he, he's one of my favorite. I mean, oh, he's yeah. no Tom and Tom and Greg, of course. I think I'm ready. Gregory. Gregory, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've evolved. <laughs> I think I'm ready for uh Colcasons. What and by the way, what's his aunt, Bonnie Bedelia, up to? <gasps> I didn't Fun know that. Die Hard fans. Yeah. Hanging out with her sister, Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> you would love an Amelia Bedelia reference. Uh, 
There's like a secret ping every time I mention Amelia Bedelia on this show. She takes things too literally. That's her thing. Uh, I guess we should start this show. Oh, all right. I guess. Uh, the Creative Arts Emmys happened. Oh, yes. And the show that I was in, Emmy nominated, once again, lost. Uh, I see that for you. An Emmy for Megan. Right. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Big fan of Megan Amber. Yeah. Um, big, big, big fan. I was in season two, <gasps> just like I was in season one, <gasps> and lost again. Can I tell you my pitch for what her season three should be? Just starring me. Just starring Ira. Right, yeah. right. And also called a Megan for Emmy, where she tries to become the next Emmy host, because we haven't had one in a while. Mm. Mm. What do you think? I also, well, I mean... She's somebody who likes to lean into a, a, a gag that's already gone on too long. So I For think she sure. should actually do a very high budget thing somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like an, you know, like a variety spectacular. Yeah. I feel like the only way to fully lean into that would be if like Netflix picked up an Emmy for Megan. Oh, right, oh, right, right, right. Yes. And it just became an actual show. By the way, I, we should reiterate what this is. Yes, Megan yes, Amram, yes. who is a Simpsons writer, um, has written on a whole bunch of shows. Good randomly place, currently. Good yes. place, yes. Randomly decided one day that she deserved an Emmy. So she came up with a web <laughs> series where she just films herself doing the bare minimum to get an Emmy, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. she's gotten nominated both years. Yeah. Um, but I believe she lost in the actress category to Christina Pickles last year, a name mm. I like to think about. <laughs> and then this year she lost in two categories again. So now uh, uh, the gag will continue, I assume. Yes. It uh, must. Well, she is in good company because someone else lost this week. <gasps> and I flooded a certain um, CBS late night hosts um, Twitter mentions with bees because <gasps> of it. <laughs> First of all, happy 14th birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so Homecoming lost to, what, Carpool Karaoke or something? Yeah. Oh. You know what? And at first, when oh. I... Again? Yes. Well, how could that happen again? I don't know. Wait, no, Didn't the she... Lemonade lost to Adele at, oh, okay. at the Grammys. Um, and I feel like Carpool Karaoke beat something serious before. Anyway, I apologize. I don't have that right. And I just... Maybe it beat Megan last year. Probably. I mean, yeah. It's just like... First of all, I looked at it and I was like expecting Beyonce Homecoming to have won. Mm. And then it says Carpool Karaoke with James Corden. And I was like, I hope it doesn't sound ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know who this man is. <laughs> I could be walking down the street. I wouldn't wouldn't know a thing. Sorry to this man. Gloria Vertel, my mother. What's happening here? Have is you that heard Ira of memes? is quoting a meme. Yes. Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer. <laughs> it is wonderful, though. Yeah, I, I didn't realize was that was about that man. I didn't realize that was about Dick Cheney until a few hours ago. Mm. And that makes it even spicier. The even way she's spicier. pointing at the, the picture, too, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry to this man. Uh, it's beautiful because I love how you watch a meme be birthed in real time. Yes. First, there was the video from her Vanity Fair interview where she was strapped to a lie detector and being asked questions. And she was asked if she knew who Dick Cheney was and said no. And then the lie detector says, she's being truthful. And that was the oh. first clip that was online. And then it was clipped down to the, just the sorry to this man part. And then it became a meme. So if you've only seen that, you have no idea that she was talking about Dick Cheney. No idea. And you have no idea that she was doing it while strapped to a lie detector. No, I had none, no context. Yeah. I like that, though, sometimes. Of course. Less context? I don't know. Who needs context? It's yeah. weird that she hasn't wandered into memedom before. Kiki Palmer, to me, is 
almost 100% sound bites yes. and, and facial expressions that are like <laughs> punchy. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, when she talked on Watch What Happens Live about the meme, she said, yes. um, and I oop out loud. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's a meme. She's a walking meme. She's she's like if Ira did his work well. You know what I mean? Quoted <laughs> oh. memes in a sort of organic way that Do made... you guys know what oop means? Out of the con speaking of out of context, what oop what oop or to to oop or ooping is? I assume it was just, you know, like what Betty Boop does in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> she might, actually. So ooping, I heard this a few years ago. This is something that's that's related to the era of um uh, okay, well, it, it's this is so gross. Uh, you take a tampon. Here we go. Uh, and you insert it into alcohol, and you insert it into yourself. That's ooping. So in other words, it's getting drunk via tampon. Oh, I see. Via, right, right, right. Yeah. So every time I see or hear and I oop, I always think. <gasps> that to me sounds like um, it, it's like in the era of rainbow parties. That's you know, what I meant. That's like, what like I was rumors gonna... you would hear yes. about like what the teens are doing. Yes. You know? yes I just yes, laced yes. my Truvada with ketamine. <laughs> Goes down easy. And no, listen right. to some uh, Santiago, listen to Four Loco. <laughs> I used to, having never had any Four Loco, I just assume it is at the level of like ketamine. I would describe it as intensity. a pungent, pungent drink. Yeah. 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 It's gross. It's, it sounds it's gross. It's definitely gross. Uh, I love how it's not just me and Lewis again, but we are already <laughs> off the rails. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> we have spent 20 minutes <laughs> talking about. Whatever. But we did summarize the whole internet this week. We did. Yeah, we did. We that's did. true. Yeah. Go us for yeah. not having lives. This has been The Internet with Iron Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> we have a fantastic show uh, for you all. Mm. I, every time I say that, I sound like I'm on SNL. Right. Yeah. Which is appropriate because we're talking about SNL this yes. week. Uh, we will also be talking about Felicity Huffman and her fortnight in prison. Second rate Judith Light, <laughs> Felicity Huffman. <laughs> No, actually, I am a fan of her acting, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, we're also going to talk about Hustlers, <gasps> the film of the year, the century. Oscar mm. buzz, Oscar buzz, Oscar buzz. And we have an interview with Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend. And my former Columbia classmate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. How fortuitous that you were here. Fortuitous. We'll be right back. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. 
I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Live from Cricket Media, we're talking about SNL. Good segue. Is Jane Curtin still on? No? <laughs> no wonder I haven't caught Lou up. Louis lost interest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just tuning in for Janine Garofalo. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember that season very vividly. <laughs> Do you remember the truth about cats and dogs? Great movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Janine Garofalo was a, a good actress. Yes. I yeah. loved her on Larry Sanders. Yeah. She did what she had to do. She mm-hmm. did. Last week, the show made history, though, for casting their first full-time Chinese-American cast member, our friend Bowen Yang. Yay, yeah. Bowen. Uh, Your we, friend, too, Grace? Do you know I've him? only met him, like, once, but I'm a huge fan of his. Oh, yeah. His Miranda Priestly lip-sync video. Oh, yeah. I, I could watch and that. Now that it, I realize I've brought this up on Keep It before, he does these lip-sync videos. Yes. He did Miranda Priestly yes. once. He did uh, um, Tyra Banks. He did Sandra Oh. Yeah. Um, and what's beautiful about it, too, is I feel like it jump-started Everyone trying to do lip sync videos. Sure. Right, right. Um, and then, of course, he got SNL because he's fantastic mm-hmm. and he's hilarious um, and also has La Culturistas, which, which we both been on. And uh, uh, Matt, I have not been on La uh, Culturistas. Didn't you do I Don't Think So, honey? Oh, yes. Pardon me. That was it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That counts. Uh, <laughs> he did that. He does that podcast with Matt Rogers, a friend of ours who has mm-hmm. been on Keep It also. Yes, but. Our excitement was quickly ruined um, when another person they cast, Shane Gillis, was recently outed as um, a racist. Uh, Yes. Can we call it that? Uh, Some people were calling uh, his racist comments edgy jokes. Uh, Provocative. He's a provocateur. (laughs) Watch out, Milo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Footage of his podcast Matt and Shane's secret podcast. Moving right along. <laughs> Just going to leave that alone. Was posted to Twitter by entertainment journalist Seth Simons last Thursday. In it, Shane, when discussing New York's Chinatown, is heard, let the fucking C word live there. And the C word, of course, is the slur that people use for Asian people. It's a term he comes back to again and again, too. Again yeah. and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, following outrage online, Shane issued a 
fake ass apology via notes actually can you read that entire apology do you have it with you right now yes i'm a comedian who pushes boundaries i sometimes miss if you go through my 10 years of comedy most of it bad you're going to find a lot of bad misses i'm happy to apologize to anyone who's actually offended by anything i've said my intention is never to hurt anyone but i'm trying to be the best comedian i can be and sometimes that requires risks 95 percent of that is Mm self-congratulating yeah it's just part of the job how good i am at Mm. ruining your day with my weird racist comments i'm a comedian (laughs) i try hard this is what happens guys imagine if you got fired from something and or imagine if you fired somebody from a job and they responded with well, you know, I did have to break the rules in order to do this job. It's like, no, you didn't. Stop that. It's like you're a job lying. interview when somebody asks you what your biggest flaw is, and you're like, I just try so hard. I just care too much. Right, right. That's what right. that is. The weirdest thing about it, too, is, of course, there were people defending his comedy, but it wasn't comedy. There was no joke attached no to jokes. it. No jokes. He's literally just saying, like, I fucking hate Chinese people. Yes. Uh, yes. And then he was like, I fucking hate gay people, too. Um, so I fucking hate Jewish people, yes. too. So, I mean, so what was the point? It, there, were, there were no jokes. There, yeah. there wasn't being edgy. It was just someone being racist. And because they and are. Glib. A, yes. And because they are a comedian and because they were doing it on a podcast people were really stretching to pretend that it was all a joke. That that he was playing a character of some kind. If you listen to the whole thing, guys, from start to beginning, to start to end rather, then you'll understand that he's just playing a character. It's part of it. That's not a character. That's just him. That's clearly just him. And, and, And also, we've been talking about this in particular, this case in particular, as though it happened 10, 15 years ago. It happened less than a year ago. Correct. And two months prior, yeah. he used the same slur to describe Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. So And now they're having some dialogue. On we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to that in yeah. a fucking minute. But um, what's crazy to me is part of the backlash to the backlash is there are people saying, yeah, as you just said, Grace, you're digging up these tweets. First of all, I did not know who he was more than no. before I heard about this story. So naturally, people like me who are into comedy, watch comedy, would want to look up what he does. Yes. So yeah. his podcast is his premier format, right? right that's what it. he does. Mm-hmm. So in order to simply educate yourself on who he was, you would have to encounter this material. Right. So it's not like you're digging up anything. It's right there. It's mm-hmm. what he. It's his selling point. It's like us getting cast in something and someone's like, oh, maybe I should check out Keep It. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And would be like, don't go there. Why are you <laughs> digging up his podcast released weekly? Right. You're trying to stir up drama. <laughs> that I I'm used to, to get attention from myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now I am I am I I am happy with what SNL now has done. Yeah, I, they fired him. They fired him. Um, yes, and yes. I was I was surprised, mm-hmm. honestly. I thought that enough people over the weekend were coming to his defense where, you know, there was this idea that cancel culture is getting out of control. Yep. And Lewis, you know, called it before consequence culture. Yeah. And it's brought to mind the idea that Everyone who says, quote unquote, cancel culture is rampant, ignores the fact that people have gotten fired for things like this for years. Mm -hmm. It's not just because Twitter exists and it's 2019. Nope. You know, Michael Richards. Remember when he said nigger a bunch of times? Yeah. um, And had backlash to that. Like people have been fired for saying heinous things before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's and they've received backlash and it just seems more prominent now because you're 
on your timeline and you keep looking at tweets where everybody's talking about it. Mm -hmm. I think there's also something particular about this case where because people can kind of predict that there will be an intense focus on a new SNL hires past tweets and past work, it almost feels like an inevitable narrative. Oh, well, we found something. But this is nothing like, for instance, uh, Melissa Villasenor uh, mm -hmm. in years past when she got hired, there were some tweets of hers or comments of hers that people maybe interpreted as, I don't know, sloppy. They are nothing compared to nothing. this. Or so nothing. It's, it's, Michael Chase, to be honest. Yeah, Michael, yeah, like, right. his, his tweets weren't great, but... They were nothing compared to this. Right. But I, I will say that it is shocking to see the people that are running to his defense and in major platforms, too. I don't know if you guys are fans of David Spades, uh, but you can't see my sarcasm, uh, <laughs> my sarcastic eyes. I've watched every episode of Just Shoot Me. <laughs> oh, Just Can Shoot Me. Can we say iconic? This is a pro Wendy Malick <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Joe, Just Shoot Me is amazing. I do love me a Wendy Malick, but he has this new show called Lights Out on Comedy Central. Right. And mm. he had Bill Burr and Jim Jeffries on last night to talk about this particular case. And man, did those three jump to Shane's defense and say all three, all three and cancel culture is terrible. What's happening? Millennials, you guys are just rats. That's a direct quote from Bill Burr, which Working by the way, on like, behalf of whom? Yeah, I have no idea. I have okay. no idea. I'd love to be a rat. You know, <laughs> they are beautiful chefs in Disney movies. Oh, That's exactly Ratatouille right. is a brilliant film. <laughs> um, uh, but but it, was, it was crazy that we're not just seeing this now on social media. We're seeing this on television, too. And Comedy Central gave that. That was their response. The response to the firing, which happened yesterday, was Comedy Central gave these three straight, middle-aged white men this platform to talk about how shitty it is that Shane no longer has a career. Right. Without it, offering the defense. It is this insistence that he was telling jokes. Yes. Yes. It's this insistence that you have to be edgy uh, in comedy. And I just do not get any sort of reasoning for doing that. And I'm also just questioning these comedians. Of, like, yeah. Would you do that? Like, would you go up and say, like, faggot a bunch of times and think, oh, that's me being funny? Right. It's And it's always the people who love, like, this recent Dave Chappelle special or whatever that yeah, we talked about yep, yep. Uh, are like, oh, you know, you have to push the boundaries. You people are doing the same thing to him that you tried to do to Dave Chappelle. There is also the fact that Dave Chappelle is funny. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the new special, but he is a funny person. And we disliked the special mostly because it seemed like a comedian later in their life trying to shock mm -hmm. um, just for attention. Right. But he also has a breath of a career to look back on where you're like, you had to get to that point to be offensive for shock value, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just being offensive now before anyone knows who the fuck you are, what is the point? You got to earn it. Yeah. You have to um, earn it. I agree completely. And it seems almost calculated in a way, especially considering his statement um, when he was fired. Shane tweeted, it feels ridiculous for comedians to be making serious public statements but here we are. I'm sorry. Fuck you. Isn't yeah. that what comedians do? Yes. Comment on society. Also, just being a comedian doesn't absolve you from having to be sincere ever. Yeah. Um, I'm a comedian who is I'm a comedian who was funny enough to get on SNL that can't be taken away. It was literally taken literally away. Literally was. Yeah. Good job. Uh, of course, I wanted an opportunity to prove myself at SNL, but I understand it would be too much of a distraction. I respect the decision they made. I'm honestly grateful for the opportunity. I was always a mad TV guy anyway because he wanted to play Miss Swan. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Clearly. He will, he will be battling Scarlett Johansson <laughs> for that role. Uh, it seems calculated yeah. because we're now in an era where 
any generic white guy can have a comedy special called Triggered. Um, and they can tour everywhere and people will pay to see them because they feel like they're battling PC culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make a shit ton of money in touring. You know, it's not going to be being on SNL. It's not going to be in movies and TV shows, probably like he assumed. Mm-hmm. But that guy who hosted the VMAs. Oh, yes. Sebastian. Uh, yeah. Maniscalco. Uh, yes. Yeah. yes. He is one of the highest paid stand up comedians. We don't know who the fuck he is, but he's touring and making money and he has a fan base. And I feel like give him a few months time. Shane will probably be opening for Louis C.K. somewhere and he will continue raking in the money because, oh, it pays to be a fucking asshole. Well, also, by the way, uh, make me laugh one time, dude. I'm sorry. I didn't look through any of this footage and find your rad comedy. You know, I actually saw a clip, a a totally separate from this, of some some stand-up that he was doing. And it was... Him talking about how people who were not standing up for having voted for Trump were pussies. And then he did a bit about vaginas. Mm. So he took that word literally. And mm-hmm. I guess that's clever. Uh, <laughs> and it was uh, not 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 funny, not engaging. It ha- it was not racist. I'll give him that. It wasn't, it wasn't racist. So mm. so there's that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I took a little bit of time to try to figure out what it was. And, and, I, and I'm, you know, because it's a big deal to get hired by SNL. And I still am trying to understand how that happened. I wonder, is because SNL... Because you have to be so good as an Asian American, like <laughs> Bowen, to get cast. Yes. But and you can be so mediocre. any generic white guy can get cast on SNL. Do you think he was cast because he represents middle America, because he represents red states, and because now that is a minority, if you will? I just think Lauren Michaels likes to hire, you know, some um, average looking white guy every season. I remember when when the announcement came through before I even knew his comedy, I was like, oh, yeah, Bowen, I'm happy for him. Chloe Fetterman, I've seen her videos online before. I think mm-hmm. she's very funny. And Shane Gillis, I was like, OK, you hired, you know, an Asian, yeah. a woman. Uh, but make sure you get a new white guy in the cast because you are severely lacking in white guys who are straight at SNL. Yeah. Also, so those three comedians, I'm still blown away, just bringing to his defense on principle, even though it has nothing to do with the quality of his comedy. Rob Schneider did the same thing today. Oh, no, oh my, no, by the way. And then backpedaled. If, you, yeah, if yeah. you end up in a debate with, uh, or pardon me, if you end up on the same side as Rob Schneider about your comedy, I mean, <laughs> truly it's time to move back to the Midwest and become a bookseller. <laughs> no offense to the Midwest or bookseller. <laughs> I was there once. <laughs> I worked at Barnes and Noble in Milwaukee. Yes. <laughs> Mayfair Mall. Love it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I think Norm even defended him briefly. Yeah. I, I don't know if he backpedaled as well. Um, but the worst defense of him was Andrew Yang. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Yang. Who will still be at these debates. And you know how yeah. everybody stands, like, if you're the most popular, you're in the middle. And if you're less popular on the sides, he's in about the Pacific Ocean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he tweeted, Shane, I prefer comedy that makes people think and doesn't take cheap shots, but I'm happy to sit down and talk with you if you'd like. We would benefit from being more forgiving rather than punitive. <laughs> what the fuck? Yang gang. You are running for fucking president. You won't be president, but you're ostensibly 
busy running a presidential campaign and you want to sit down with someone who was fired from SNL? What the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, it's what he's doing is clinging to anybody who has a he, he can tie himself to. Of course. Yeah. Like, yes, yes. yes, yes. Please talk about me. Yep. Because then he was on CNN State of the Union talking about how I've experienced a lot of anti-Asian racism throughout my upbringing. And it hurts. Um, yeah, you know, like you making um, self-mocking jokes at the recent debate talking about how um, you're Asian, so you know a lot of doctors and you're good at math. You know, it's that concept of I'm making fun of myself to make white people feel better about being around a person of color. Right, not furthering the needle. No, not furthering the needle. And now you want to sit down with a fucking racist yeah. to do do what? All of all of our presidential candidates are spending too much time on Twitter. Can I just say that? <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know this if you didn't spend any time on Twitter. Yeah, you, maybe you'd, if you watch cable news, you'd, you'd catch a glimpse of it. But I'm sure Fox News has probably raged about for this. For sure. But I feel like the general public who's going to be watching SNL this season has no idea any of this happened. Yeah. It was a and good and thank yeah. God they don't. I too many people know about this. Too many people. It's like Caroline Calloway. Too many people knew about oh, yeah. that story. Uh, too many people. That scamming white half. Oh God! What a boring story. <laughs> I have to say, okay, about that story, <laughs> we, we we are not going to get into the Caroline Calloway story, no, no, no. which was at the cut, and it's a long story about an Instagram narcissist and a friend who followed her around, mm. and her life was eventually ruined. Who okay. she used like Jenny Humphrey to apparently write her Instagram captions for. Yes. Her. Right. 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 Usually in a scammer story, there's an X factor about the scammer that makes it intriguing. But she really was just a run of the mill Instagram, pardon me, loser. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who had nothing to say. It just didn't, it didn't grab me the way I expected to based on the reaction it got. I felt mm. like Derek Barry in that um, Stonewall video where he thinks that uh, people died at Stonewall. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody died. <laughs> I'm like, I read this Caroline Calloway story. I'm like, so nobody's dead. <laughs> right. There's, 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 there's not like a Theranos level scandal yeah, where like, yes. yes, like there's no cult. There's no people in danger of maybe dying. There's yeah. no stolen money. There's no people trapped on an island no with uh, mayonnaise babies. sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. Like watch a fucking episode of Melrose Place <laughs> I was that, that and article, then do a scam. That article name, name drops the movie Ingrid Goes West and it's just, yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, I Go watch that it. movie. Yeah, Except right. Ingrid shot someone. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stakes. There's yeah. just no stakes in the no story. No stakes. I think... Um, you know where there were stakes? Jonas L.A. Season <laughs> 2. <laughs> uh, my friend, um, former colleague Molly Lambert tweeted oh, recently. She said... The Carolyn Calloway story on the cut has already dropped down to number five beneath a story about skincare. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it went away very quickly. Yes, it was well it written. It just was not super yes. intriguing. Yeah. Um, to get back quickly. To, Probably well edited. I bet. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yep, yep. To get back to the story quickly. You know what? Uh, I, a line that keeps coming up and people like David Spade are likely to say this sort of thing is, you know, well, com comedy is very important during this time. Etc. And you're defending an institution of comedy when you're defending these people. How about comedy is not that important? Yeah. So if you're going to be a complete fuck up, go away. Yeah. We only need like nine comedians. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have outsourced joy and laughter to Twitter and Instagram, unfortunately. So yeah. we don't really need that many pros. When we have K Kiki Palmer popping in with memes that are gold right. every day. I laugh. I laugh. Yes. That makes me laugh. See? Yeah. Well, you know, as the star of Rules of Engagement uh, missed... <laughs> there is also this insistence that comedians are in the same field as regular like writers. Uh, uh -huh. And I get like comedians can be writers, but yeah. a stand up is not the same thing as say like 
Stephen King or Tarantino no. using the N word in their movies. Nor, uh, nor are they at the same level as journalists. There, yes. there are occasionally people like that, like John Stewart. Mm-hmm. If you are John Stewart, then you have to identify yourself not just as a comedian, but you have to understand the cultural impact that you have. But that's that's a rare case. Most comedians also are not intellectuals. Not that they can't be that they're not smart, but they're not just you know publicly perceived as such. Yes, and there's just this idea that they are so persecuted, uh, that they really have to cling to the idea that cancel culture is destroying people's lives left and right. I cannot think of anyone who has actually had their life fucking ruined by cancel culture. Maybe Weinstein, he still has a bunch of money. Yeah. Kevin Spacey's doing like fucking poetry in Rome yeah. somewhere. And uh also, by the way, criminals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sean Spice is doing the fucking cha-cha slide. Oh, Jesus. On Dancing with the Stars. My Who got canceled? Pr- right. It's just, no. It- Lot's wife? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. My, my pre-keep it is Sean Spicer. That's Sean Spicer, uh, Jeff from last night, by the way. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that. Oh, God. Fucking villain from Ghostbusters. <laughs> The one who stopped through the city. <laughs> oh, Stay Puffed? Yeah. yeah. Stay Puffed Spicer. Oh, yeah. Marshmallow <laughs> Man. Anyway, um, really looking forward to not reading about um, Andrew Yang's sit down with Shane Gillis. Mm-hmm. Because who cares? They're going to live stream it. They're going to live stream <laughs> they, it. They, they are going to. Someone is going to milk everything mm-hmm. out of this meeting. Um, I would hope that people online wouldn't share the photo and try and dunk on them and make jokes and make it a bigger story than it should be. Yeah. But we know the internet. I've seen it up close yep. and personal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming up next, Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. We're back with Grace's close personal friend, Ezra Koenig. <laughs> and fellow Columbia Lion. That's right. Yes. We don't talk about Columbia on this show. Do we not? I went to Tish. <gasps> oh. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, my Sorry. sister went to Tish. Oh. Mm. Good for her. Yeah. Is there some rivalry school. there? I don't have a lot of Columbia loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> I, had fun. I, I enjoyed college well enough, but I have no affection, really, for the the institution itself. Like, no. oh, one of my the homes I've lived in. No, it was a school. Yeah. Right. It was New York. I have an f- affiliation, you know, an affection for New York. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Of course. Uh, yeah. I How am brave. very <laughs> excited you're here. 
I'm excited that um, you DM'd me after I called your album Father of the Bride White Excellence. Oh, that, that meant so much to me. <laughs> I, I was so excited. There are very few things that I would classify that, by the way, too. I feel like Dead to Me. Sure. Oh, yeah. Stranger Things. Succession. Season one. Succession. And Succession. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So. The Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. that's my favorite movie of all time. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I just nailed that. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. Kate Blanchett looking very tan is right behind you. <laughs> on that wall. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to ask, because of that, you have a song called Unbearably White. That's right. On yeah. the album. Yeah. And it just made me think about, there was a review years ago uh-huh. that I think an editor of mine an old editor from MTV News had written um, and apologized for, where she talked about how your band was just a bunch of white dudes. Yeah. Uh, but Rostin was in the band then. Right. Yeah. And so it wasn't true. But yeah. now it's just white guys. Yeah. Now, So now they could write the article. Yeah. <laughs> well, but also it, it depends how you define the band too. It's because, you know, not everybody, a lot of people work on the album or important creative collaborators even perform with us. So, you know. True. You Time. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Lacey. Steve Lacey, yeah. Yeah, it's from the internet. M- MVP of the album. Yeah, yeah. He, just, he just played with us in New York. Yeah. Um, what's it like writing for, I guess, other people now? Well, you know, the, we collaborate. I mean, I th- so there's a bunch of songs with uh, Danielle Heim on the record, and I, I, just, got, I just really wanted to write duets. Mm-hmm. I think it, it just felt like, you know, as a songwriter— you're always kind of looking for new challenges. And, and I think especially coming from whatever you want to call the Vampire Weekend world, the we kind of started in this funny place where of kind of like abstraction and, you know, I don't know. So for me, there's some, some real novelty in doing what most people, what most good songwriters do from the start, which is like write songs that have a setting and, and people talking <laughs> to each other. Because I've been in the situations here and there where people really sit down groups of songwriters and they're like before they you know pick up a guitar or start making a beat or something like what's this about like let's talk about the the big ideas where I was, I was a little more just like you know writing like myself little notes and stuff like that you know kind of coming up with cool turns of phrases you know like starting with a phrase unbearably white and thinking like what does that really mean you know <laughs> and we're working backwards but so writing for somebody else is fun because especially in a duet it's kind of like who are these two people why are they together? And again, this is like songwriter 101, but yeah. it was novel for me in my early 30s. No, I mean, not many people would name songs like Oxford Comma. Right. Or like have their album called Contra, mm-hmm. uh, which I always liked, but it always sort of felt like I was deciphering something listening right. to the albums. And this one just feels very relaxed. And, you know, you talked about how you were sort of inspired by Casey Musgraves. Sure. Um, you know, how you could listen to her songs and notice from the beginning, like, what it's about. Uh, right. Well, yeah, I saw her at the Greek theater. And, I mean, I'd already had this, like, larger interest in country music. It, it always kind of, like, loomed for me. My my dad was a fan. I, right. You I saw, mentioned Loretta Lynn in oh, yeah, interview, too. Yeah, it could, because there's those great duets from, from that era. But I did have this, you know, again, these these are the, the realizations of an incredibly naive person. But... I, I I went with Ariel, who uh, one of our producers, and we saw um, Casey at the Greek Theater, mm-hmm. and I, I just had this thought. Again, like I've been familiar with country <laughs> music, I've been a fan my whole life, but 
you know when somebody takes you to see a show and you don't know the music, mm-hmm. it can be like a profoundly alienating experience, mm-hmm. especially in <laughs> some maybe what we've been classified as in like the broader sense of like indie. Like if you don't know the songs, you know, it's, especially if it's like noisy and you're mm-hmm. just like, what am I even listening to? It's all distorted. And then there's something really pleasant about like listening. And also it's just a good mix and her band is sick. But just like listening and be kind of like, I'm actually hearing this song in real time and I'm thinking about it and you're introducing me to, to the, the the meaning of the song. And I just kind of realized there aren't too many other shows I'd been to where I was kind of like learning the songs and thinking about them all at the same time. Recently, I saw Mitski and I mm. never listened to her before. Yeah. A friend was like, I have an extra ticket. I love uh-huh. her. You're going to love her. And mm-hmm. I went and yeah. I did. Oh, great. Well, Casey Musgraves is also, I guess, a kind of rare person now where if you listen to two songs in a row, you have gotten to know her. You know what I mean? Like, she's like introducing you uh, formally to her. Also, on this album, you wrote with Hans Zimmer. First of all, so glad. Oh, we we didn't write together. I was going to say, first of all, so glad he's getting work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I was wondering when he would get prolific. (laughs) But talk about the process of putting together your work with his work. Well, we we just sampled him. Um... It's, uh, it's from the soundtrack to The Thin Red Line, mm-hmm. which mm. is a really beautiful soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, it's a song. It's one of the songs of Danielle that kind of had this a little bit of this country flavor. It's one of those duets I was talking about. And it had something in common with the chord progression from uh, this bit of music from The Thin Red Line that I was always familiar with. And it kind of felt like that seemed like a good way to start an album, just like, acoustic guitar and pedal steel and because I knew Vampire Weekend fans would just be like what the fuck is this <laughs> and then just like you know real like hard cut into the big Hans Zimmer with the choir you know yeah well even speaking about like Vampire Weekend fans you know um, how do you feel they've changed since uh, you know your first album because mm-hmm. you, know, you so much very much like a like a preppy sort of band right. and, and had that vibe and now you've matured, you have a kid, yeah. you know, have, have you seen a sort of change in your audience or have you just sort of seen your audience grow up with you? We've definitely seen a lot of people grow up with us and that's been very meaningful when, when you get notes from people saying stuff like, you know, I was in high school or college or whatever when your first album came out. And I remember when the second and the third, I was going through some shit in my late 20s and then now I'm married see we get notes like that all the time where you kind of feel like you're on a journey with somebody and also you know that's the hope it it can be like very confusing especially in music where so many of the best ideas and work comes from young people Mm -hmm. I mean that's kind of how it's set up Mm -hmm. so you know as you get older the idea that you could still make work that feels exciting but also you know, dignified or something and that your fans are along for the ride. That feels really good. Um, but then you also get the funny phenomenon of meeting fans at shows or other places. You're like, I've been listening to you guys for 10 years. And you're always like, how old are you? And they're like, 14. And then you're just kind of like, <laughs> what? And they're like, so I've seen that a little bit where it's like, oh, my parents used to play your first album all the time. And I, oh you know, God. when you run the math, it makes sense. But yeah. there's still a part of me that's like, oh, isn't that like 
shouldn't I be like 60 then? <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, but like, all right, cool. I'll be honest. I was surprised to realize how old Horchata is now. I can't believe I've known that song. Yeah. That long. Yeah. It came, actually, somebody just texted me. It came out almost exactly 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Unacceptable, <laughs> frankly. Can we keep it at five? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> time, we, time flies. Can we go to years ago, Grace? Columbia? Yes. Mm-hmm. Take us there. God. I mean, I uh, was blacked out for a lot of it. Uh, yeah. Performing improv in tiny basements. But I do remember. Remember, yeah. So I hosted a, a radio show called Dave and Dave in the Morning with Hector mm. and Grace that had neither a Dave nor a Dave. It was me and my friend Hector. Mm. And so because we were kind of like in the scene of radio things, they asked us to host a number of like uh, music related events on campus, including Battle of the Bands. And I think yeah. that Hector and I hosted the first the first Battle of the Bands. That sounds right. That Vampire was Weekend. Sponsored by the Engineering School. Sponsored by C's. <laughs> yes, School of Applied and Engineering Sciences. Yes. Yeah, I love that it was the Engineering School. <laughs> it, that, yeah, which we came yes. in th- third out of fourth. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. That, that, was oh, our, wow. that was literally our first show. That's right. That's yeah. wild. You did as well as a reform candidate in a presidential election. <laughs> yeah, <congrats. laughs> or, or like uh, Beyonce on Star Search. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, what she reminded us of. Mm-hmm. And flawless. <laughs> yeah, girls' time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Girls' time. <laughs> girls right, time. Girls time. Uh, speaking of, you are one of the credited writers on Hold Up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know that you were recently talking about how you got into the idea of collaborating on like, yeah. pop music. like, And one of the things that helped was like this camp you went to for Kanye. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if you if they would call it a camp, but I was there. Someone in, called in it a, a camp in a big in... in a big house in Mexico with a lot of people coming and going. So. Uh, what's that even like? Like, how do you even get approached for that? And then what's it like arriving there and being like, I've been summoned to help create a it big was, album? It was through one of one of his managers at the time, and we we'd met once or twice. So it seemed like he knew something about Vampire Week. I remember meeting him when our first album came out. And he said, uh, "He said like, oh yeah, I have your album." I was like, "All right, cool." No, 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 uh, commentary, no commentary beyond that. Um, <laughs> nice. So we'd met once or twice, and you know, of course, it was exciting to roll up. I, uh, I was lucky when I got there. Um, uh, my friend Dave from Dirty Projectors was there, so I, mm-hmm. I actually knew one person. But you know, it's it's cool. It was like a house, and his his family was there, and. You know, there's one day me and Dave were eating breakfast at the table and like Kim came and, you know, just chatted and stuff. So it was actually very relaxed. It, I, that, I think that's why the phrase camp sometimes implies like just flying all these people to Sweden and the artist isn't even there. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, making them get to work. You know, there's kind mm-hmm. of like a weird association. This really seemed like, you know, some somebody with their family in a house setting up a studio and, and working and, you know, they play stuff for us and give us some something. Do you have any idea for this? And go work on something, then come back and play it. And then and then you'd watch like a lot of discussion. There was a song that we started working on that. Um, yeah, I always talk about it with Dave. It was it was it was almost like a country song. Actually, so I remember like coming back to present it and I was like kind of <laughs> nervous. And then and then like I remember Connie kind of liked it and then. And Big Sean was there, and they were like talking about the lyrics and stuff. And I was like, "Oh, this is this is cool." Are you eventually just going to make a country album? I, I wonder. I mean, I think I, I really think that country songwriting is is you know it's just like one of the the pillars of like American songwriting, mm-hmm. you know. And so I kind of think anybody who's like really into songwriting eventually 
finds something that speak you know speaks to them in that world. Little Nas I, X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Found exactly. At Nineteen. I mean, yeah, because because country music, it's southern music, like yeah. almost all American music comes from the South. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you feel like like an obligation to spend some time in the South? You're from New York, right? Yeah. So so do you feel like to to capture a certain genre that's almost geographically specific, like country, that that requires spending time in a certain area? Or maybe that's something that you've done in past albums, too, just to get the kind of feel of a geography. Well, I get... I guess the answer would be no. Although I do, we, we just toured through the South and we had a lot right, of great yeah, shows, yeah. so I like it. I mean, I guess my feeling is if if uh, if when people think of country music, they think of like, you know, cowboy boots and cowboy hats and something specific. That's one thing. I mean, I always think too, like with country music. I think of women it, wanting to shoot their husbands. Oh, yeah. There's a lot <laughs> Carrie of Carrie Underwood, that. Uh, <laughs> that music video. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it's just because I'm a music nerd, but I think it's also important to recognize, you know, country music sometimes people. People pick, and obviously Lil Nas X, these ideas have been challenged a lot. You know, country music, the roots of it aren't just like white people in cowboy hats. It's also black music, of course, being one of the fundamental bases bases of it. And then also like, this is my true music nerd, but also Hawaiian music. People forget about that. You know, this idea of the pedal steel guitar that comes from Hawaiian uh, guitar. That's right. You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. like, so the sound that's so associated with the American South really at its origin is, is Hawaiian. Um, so I think there's something about country music that's like the, it's, it's very much associated with the place, but really it's a combination of a lot of different cultures and music and just strong songwriting. So mm-hmm. I always think about like, you know, like it makes more sense for me being like, you know, a, a Northeastern Jewish person, like Leonard Cohen looms very large as like a cultural figure. And then you, in his songs, he sings about how much he loves Hank Williams and sees, you know, that as being one of his big inspirations. So that's I, I like that. Just like yeah. that idea of of great songwriting kind of transcending place mm-hmm. a bit. Ever since somebody mentioned Loretta Lynn, I have now had that duet with Conway Twitty, Louisiana Woman, Mississippi Man stuck in my head. If you don't great know it, song. Oh, no, I know it. that song. <laughs> yes. We get together every time we can. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's brolicking. Here's a question I just have about songwriting in general. Mm. Okay, so like I am a joke writer. Yeah. In order to be successful, I basically have to make myself laugh. Yeah. Laughing is almost exhausting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Is it exhausting to have to move yourself? To sort of, you know, transport yourself, to bring yourself to a place where you feel like, oh, I've actually, you know, expressed a poetic thing in my music. It's, well, I'm, I bet you feel the same way. It's exhausting, but it's also, uh, it's so terrifying when you don't have that feeling. I don't know if you yeah. have this, if you're like uh-huh. writing yes, jokes and you're yes. like, uh, is this funny? It's not making, and then you Every finally day. come up with something that cracks you or your sure. friends up. <laughs> so I think in the studio, the, you have to be such a ruthless editor and there's been times, you know, it's kind of why our albums take a, take a while, but there's been times when I've wondered or I've been talking to somebody and they're like, are you being too hard on yourself? Like, would you have to like overthink every little thing? Mm-hmm. And then every time we actually put music out into this, you know, crazy world, I'm like, no, <laughs> you, you have to be super prepared at all times. You can work incredibly. It could be like one of the best things you ever made. And just so somebody else can be like, kind of like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Doesn't suck. <laughs> you know. That's, I guess that's so how it is. So pitchfork can be like, yeah. oh, it's okay. I guess. Yeah, it's fine. Seven point one. So, so <laughs> the uh, so I kind of feel like you you really have to wait for that feeling, and also you know like everybody who does creative stuff, we we all know that terrifying feeling of like you think you know what you're doing, and then suddenly you sit down and you're presented with this task that you feel fully unequipped for. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it, that that feeling of is this a song that I want to listen to over and over again? Does it move me for a while? 
sometimes it feels like it's it's the only thing you can count on. Um, so I'm glad to to have that feeling. But yeah, it can be very frustrating when you're just kind of like, you know, when you have like some some okay songs, you know, mm-hmm. it's the only thing you can count on. Well, no, one one thing I really like too is you have your Beats One show, yeah. Time Crisis, um, and I love the fact that Beats One shows are basically just sort of interspersed with songs that yeah. you pick. Right. You know? So it's nice to listen to something and hear a curated playlist from you. Right. Like it's nice hearing what other artists are listening to. Well, I got to be honest, I don't pick every song on it. Okay. So, some, sometimes the producers <laughs> pick songs that <laughs> that have to go with it, but it's nice because we can really. That's that's a special thing about Beats that you don't have to. Uh, you can play more of the songs than the the fifteen second legal whatever because because yeah. of obviously it's a streaming service, mm-hmm. um, but it so means yeah if we're talking about a song or we start thinking about a song we can like kind of really get into it and and kind of play it and stop it you know. It also made me realize that I've listened to the most recent one that um, Foster the People has new music that is oh, yeah. not oh. pumped up kicks that I like. Oh, that's wow. nice. Because um, oh, we had him on to talk about Jeffrey yeah, well, Epstein, well, but that's, yeah. a good, <laughs> that's a good side effect. Yeah, uh, you did talk about Jeffrey Epstein mm-hmm. with Mark Foster, conspiracy theories, which was a wild episode. <laughs> yeah, it was It was atypical <laughs> for, for us. But he, because well, he, 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 he had this tweet that went viral where he, he said he thought maybe... Um, Maybe Jeffrey Epstein was alive in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, I, I consider myself open-minded. So I'm like, <laughs> and, and actually, what it. a liberal thought. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I was like, I want to hear what, what he has to say. And I always I always really like Mark. I, th- I think he's a very smart guy. And then, when, you know, when he gets on the show, as, as you might expect, he wasn't like foaming at the mouth. Like, I'm telling you, he's alive in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> he was kind of like, he's like, listen, I think. There's a lot that we don't know, and I think weird stuff happens all the time. And I'm I'm not saying it's true, but you know, he was very reasonable. I think that when you see something in a tweet like that, you assume someone's going to be Alex Jonesy. Right. But just listening to it and the casual nature of it, yeah. it just sort of reminds you that we can be hanging with any of our friends, and sometimes they'll say something like, "You know, I I don't really think the towers fell down," and you're like, "What? <laughs> Who are you?" And all they of just a say sudden? it casually. Yeah. Was right. your and friend Marion Cotillard? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, and. You know, she believes it. That's right. Yes, Mark Ruffalo does too. Oh, I forgot all that. Wait, really? Yeah, Yeah. he thinks it was like a inside job. What? Yeah, Ruffies. Wow. I've never. No one's ever called him. He was pretty fluffly free. Other than that, though, (laughs) (laughs) you can count on me. I recommend it, everybody. Uh, But how that tweet blew up? I mean, you're a person who's on Twitter. Um, Less and less, but yeah, I have a Twitter account. Um, I mean, how do you feel about being on Twitter in general now? I, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I tweet so little now and I look at Twitter less. Um, and it's not because I'm above it all. It's because Instagram, <laughs> Instagram allows me to check something over and over again mm-hmm. and it ruins my day slightly less. That's, that's how I feel. I think for me, I, I was, and, and I had to think backwards to kind of figure out, well, like, what's the moment when I stopped tweeting as much. And I think it was kind of around the time of the the last election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like specifically when Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. I think I just kind of felt like Twitter became hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly not <laughs> a, a, an original, original thought on my part. Like that. Yeah. That, I think a lot of people felt that way. And I think some people probably felt, uh, I, I could imagine why staying on Twitter might make somebody feel more in control or something. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was kind of just like, ah, uh, the, yeah, the, the 
the the infighting. Mm-hmm. I just felt like it was kind of clouding my mind um, yeah. in terms of how I, I I thought about things. So uh, and then and then I also just started using Instagram more. So it's <laughs> like I thought, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I feel like now I can get I get my news a little more slowly from other places. And uh, and then Instagram fills that kind of compulsive checking habit. Um, I'm obsessed with Instagram stories. Yes, oh, sometimes I, I am. I, I am sometimes as well. I'm skeptical. I'm no, like I crafting don't... them. I feel like my Instagram story feed is HBO Max. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, I gotta, for you. I gotta follow you on Instagram. <laughs> well, I also I, I also really like that too because I, I I do think some people treat Instagram stories as an art form mm-hmm. where you really feel like you know that uh that. That like kind of famous uh, clip in Rules of Attraction when a guy gets back from Europe. Yeah, and he's yes. described. I like when somebody's Instagram stories are like that. Where you're like, <laughs> 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 it's like, oh man, you just like took it all in. Um, and I also like that Instagram stories uh, like come and go. Yeah. Yes. There, there's something about and yeah, and I think like Twitter can sometimes feel like high stakes. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. So I like that you're kind of just like watching this like fluid thing that comes and goes in 24 hours and right if you upload like yourself at a bar and you're drunk it is gone in a day gone in a day yeah though yeah. well, i mean don't get too comfortable <laughs> but, you can yeah. take screenshots but it, it doesn't isn't there like, instagram's gonna go away at some point soon right i mean it doesn't feel like there's much of a challenger but you're right there must be there at has some point. tiktok my only thing about instagram is i am just shocked how you learned so quickly how many of your friends are willing to bore you I thought you were entertaining, and now I'm watching this, and you suck. Your Instagram stories, by the way, are my favorite. I do very well. When Lewis takes on something, I don't know if you follow this guy, but it's it's incredible. I just answer questions about like the people on the wall behind. I got some new Instagram managers. Sometimes I will judge people who are like just sitting there answering questions, like a Q and A. But I will admit, every time I see Lewis do one. I will maybe roll my eyes, but then I will sit there and watch the entire There's actually information in it. Because it's yes. information, yeah. and I'm getting to also, learn something new about you. And I try and treat mine like, it feels like a blog in a sort of sense. And it mm. feels like there's more there's more control over that than Twitter. It's your if live you journal. Share, if you, you're sharing those thoughts like answering a Q&A on Instagram story, you're not getting people responding to your tweets and being like, fuck you, I hate that movie. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. I also had a thought recently that something, because I would, sometimes I go on Twitter, you know, like sometimes you might see somebody like fave a Twitter, a tweet of yours from, again, 10 years ago, <laughs> like psychotically. Yeah. So I had a bunch. And people, so I, I noticed people like fave, so I saw this one where I, I just wrote something about, I'm watching Chariots of Fire and wearing Patagonia. And I was thinking, <laughs> uh, I was really glad that I had some evidence that I was wearing Patagonia a little bit before it was cool. But also, I realized that, remember on Twitter that people used to like, when people made fun of Twitter before it became part of like the mechanics of society, it the, the joke would always be like, I don't care what you had for breakfast. Right. And, yeah. But I, But then I was thinking back and I was like, that was really bad that people said that because suddenly it was telling everybody, you can't, don't, you can't just use this thing just to write down little details of your day. Right. You have to have like strong opinions. Like, what are you, some kind of loser who just going <laughs> to? But then when you go back and find those old tweets, and I think it's similar to Instagram, that feels like more archaeological when I find those old tweets where I'm just like, I'm sitting around doing this versus the ones where I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, like trying to make a joke or trying to like have Hot some commentary on, or something. Yeah. I, so I, there's part of me that kind of missed that. The like what I just had for breakfast Twitter. Maybe we got to bring that back. <laughs> yeah. Well, standing in line at Starbucks Twitter. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. I yeah. Mean, speaking of Kim earlier, I remember how she used to start every morning with "Good morning" tweets. 
Oh, what actually yes. did? Yeah. Like, just really? hi to her Twitter followers. I think yeah. nothing is creepier than telling your followers good night. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off. Good I've been here for 13 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roxanne Gay has been. <laughs> Shifting mm. a bit, during the election, you uh, were... Um, Performing at like Bernie Sanders rally, yeah, yeah, and things. We did and, too. Um, is he your person now? How are you feeling about the 2020 race? Well, yeah, still like Bernie, and may- maybe we'll go out and and do something for him. The that's another thing. Yeah, primaries Twitter. That's, that's <laughs> oh just, god, primaries it's, Twitter. Ugh. It's pretty tough. Yeah, I thought it was exhausting when it was just two people. Well, yeah. three people. I forget right. about O'Malley. Um, <laughs> and now it's so many people yeah. right. and everyone on every side seems exhausted. Yeah. You say, I really like Elizabeth Warren. And they're like, well, why don't you like these three other people? Right. How many t- photo collages of Tulsi can I tweet? <laughs> yeah. I, I tweeted something about, I'm from Texas, I love Beto, mm. and I said something like, oh, you know, like just seeing Beto and seeing Julian Castro up there, it'd be amazing if one of them would run for Senate. And I got all this hate from Beto, people who were like, he needs to be president, Grace. Shut the fuck up if you don't think that oh, Beto. Yeah. It's like, I think oh, really? A, yeah. And I was like, this is an amazing person who definitely needs to be in public service. I'm not saying the, the I thought that was here. like the, the common opinion was that he should be running for Senate instead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's the stuff. I don't like to see that. Exactly. Stuff. But I, I yeah, I, I like Bernie. I, it's it is it, it's a head scratcher for me when people just like absolutely hate him. Mm. That that's always strange for me because he clearly inspires very uh, strong feelings. I'm just kind of like no, I feel like I used to have very strong feelings. Well, like you, in you were a hater and like a really like hotbed sort of pressure cooker way yeah. mm-hmm. and now I'm just I see him I'm like eh, I like his ideas right yeah I think you know if you, if you like somebody's ideas and they've been in the Senate and Congress for a long time without voting for too many things that you find morally repugnant mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to me that's about as good as it gets yeah and I, I guess you, you could say the same thing uh, about Warren too like, you know, the, whatever people say, oh, she used to be a Republican. But, you know, in her time as a lawmaker, mm-hmm. she's got a pretty good record. So I try. And of course, I think everybody's on the same page. Just hope that somebody wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like I, one thing I, I can say is that I, I think the silver lining of 2016 was that Bernie's campaign probably led to good things. I mean, the fact sure. that, you know, AOC cites him as a influence or mm-hmm. inspiration, however she puts it. Seems like a good thing. So I kind of feel like Bernie's the type where you're kind of like, yeah, why not? Get it. Get out there for him. If he becomes president, good. If he if he doesn't, that's also fine. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the it's it's it is scary. I don't though, know if he has a he... corn pop, but, um, right. you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's just a story. That was. That, that, that's that's the only one that really. Whenever I, I go into West Hollywood, I run into my enemy Fruit Loop. <laughs> <laughs> Always threatening to knife me. Cinnamon toast. Yes. <laughs> I mean. Lucky charms. Oh I just. God. I think we all agree that everyone's exhausted by Biden. Sure. Yes. Now, yes. That's the one thing everyone agrees with. I also just kind of feel like if he's the candidate and he loses to Trump, I think the, the Democrats have to close up shop. I think we need to start <laughs> some, new, some yeah. new party. I mean, maybe it has to finally be like in Europe where there's like a. You know, a, a socialist. Le- Maybe that would be the final straw. People are like this doesn't work. The fall yeah. of the democratic empire. I mean, how brutal is that going to be? So right? Is that 
But so maybe we're headed there. I prefer not to have a heart attack right here. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which will last longer, Instagram or the Democratic Party? <laughs> oh, Instagram. Because Instagram, that, that Zuckerberg, the answer to nobody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Democrats, come on. That's true, that's <laughs> true. Thank you for writing the tagline for that. <laughs> uh, to end on a positive note, um, who should we be listening to? Are there new artists that you're very into? Oh, um, I mean, I'm I'm mostly I'm always listening to old music. I find myself always kind of digging. Well, digging tell people in. some old music to listen to. Okay, sure. There was a country singer songwriter named Mickey Newberry, and we covered one of his songs for the the Japanese bonus track on our album. It's, it's called "I Don't Think Much About Her No More," and he wrote some like big country hits for other people. But it's one of those cool albums from like kind of the late '60s, early '70s, where you had some of these country guys like hanging out with hippies and wanting to make more like uh, conceptual albums. Um, so he his music from that era is really great, and he and and so the song I don't think much about her no more is is a truly beautiful song, and he kind of adds in little like sound effects and these almost kind of Beach Boys esque kind of musical flights of fancy. Mm. So let's say check out the kind of late '60s, early '70s Mickey Newberry. Mm. Um, He's and he's kind of doesn't get as much credit uh, as a artist because people knew him as a songwriter. So yeah, I've been really loving Mickey Newberry. Great. I love a flight of fancy too. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm on one right now. Yeah. Uh, Ezra, thank you for being here. Thanks Yay! so much for having me. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Operation Varsity Blues, <laughs> I still crack up every time I remember it is named that, uh, has just gotten its first sentencing, and just like the movie, it was weak and unsatisfying. Who wrote this copy? I love Varsity Blues. <laughs> I definitely don't, but okay. You're up to it again, Carolyn. <laughs> All your Varsity Blues love should be moved over to Eurotrip. Mm. Oh. Actually, I think I just love the I don't want your life scene and Allie Larder in the whipped cream, which is only actually made better in Not Another Teen Movie with right. Chris right. Evans doing it. That's right. Maybe I don't love Varsity Blues. Maybe you don't. I'm learning a little bit about yourself. Today. Fuck Varsity Blues. <laughs> it's best remembered as a quote from Mean Girls. I'll say it. Yes. 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 Uh, anyway, Felicity Huffman was sentenced, as I said, to a fortnight <laughs> in prison. Plus 250 hours of community service and a $30,000 fine for her role in the infamous college admission scandal that broke earlier this year. She has to turn herself in on October 25th 
So she can still present at the Emmys. Perfect. Not the Creative Arts Emmys. No. But the Emmys, she'll be there. They, sh- they should have her. They should have her. <laughs> they should have her. You know, this, this is a story where I can't tell which I'm longing for first, the documentary or the fictionalized version, mm-hmm. the, the narrative story of this, because they, they both are going to be created about the same time. I mean, they're both in the same timeline. Yeah. But I don't know which is going to happen first. And I'm, I'm ready for both. I know that. Well, also, we still have to wait for Lori Loughlin to officially yes. go down. And that's going to be a much more serious situation since she didn't take the plea deal. And right. um, mm-hmm. which is LOL. What, did, what were you thinking? What was she thinking? I don't know what Lori's up to. Yeah. Do they have <laughs> the same defense? No, right? I know. I, I don't. I think also so. think her and her husband Massimo were up to other illegal activities. Yes. So sure. they got a lot going on. They got a lot going on. Quinn Cummings, the uh, actress, tweeted once that when this is from her Twitter, she said that when uh, Lori Laughlin was on Full House and she and John Stamos were going to have a baby, that she uh, screamed that the babies were too ugly and that they, she and John would never have ugly kids. So that is very funny. You're kidding. Yeah. Remember when they lived in a fucking attic? And raise their kids. Oh, right. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Obviously, Felicity Hoffman's sentencing is very light, uh, but it also brought to mind the harsher sentencing, you know, that um, women of color get for committing some of the same crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the case of Tanya McDowell, a Connecticut mom who was sentenced to five years behind bars for, quote unquote, stealing an education. Um, after enrolling her five-year-old son into the wrong school district, and that was because she was homeless at the time of his enrollment and used the address of her son's babysitter to enroll him in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to say something about this. Um, it's fucked up that Tanya got five years in prison, yeah. right? Um, but a lot of the conversation online was, let's send Felicity to prison for five years, you know? And I think that... Two things can be true. Tanya's sentencing was bullshit. And also, we shouldn't be sending people to prison for crimes like this. Yes. Uh, prisons are already overcrowded. Um, and I don't really believe in using the prison system to punish people for crimes like this in the first place. Yeah. Um, so prison reform is something that we need in this situation so that both women would have gotten fair sentences. 14 days in jail, by the way, though. I just don't know if it's enough to overhaul your conscience altogether. Which you know is what, what that I, is? That's yeah. preparing for a role. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that's what fourth, that's... No, she's, yeah, planning her next move. Yeah, exactly. But she is going to come out uh, of prison and play Martha Stewart. <laughs> in a film. Oh, wow. I've got the role. I understand it. <laughs> Cast me. But to, uh, to Iris' point, I, I, and, and to your point too, Lewis, I think 14 days is, is nothing for sure. Mm-hmm. But jail is not the proper No. I really think the money is, yes. what, is what we need from her. Her money should be going towards other students uh, who didn't benefit from the scamming that she did to exactly. get her children to college. And, and her daughter should have been sentenced to go to state school. Because yeah. I think she was only fined $30,000. To DeVry. That's to right. DeVry. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was only uh, fined $30,000, mm-hmm. which yeah. is, a, you know, nothing for, for her, I'm sure. And $30,000, that's less than a script fee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. It is. Yeah. She got paid more than that to be addicted to pills on <laughs> one episode of Desperate Housewives. An early yes. season, too. Yeah. Yes. Her yeah. Emmy-winning season. Was it season one? I think she won for season one. Really? I, feel, I disagree. I think it's season two because that's mm. when all of them were nominated. And oh. in the first season, it was fewer of them. Her cancer mm-hmm. season. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. Was yes. season two. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Wasn't Terry just nominated for the first season? Yeah, I think that's right. Yes. Uh, by the way, 
the best part about this was the letters written um, for Felicity. Oh, I know, including oh, Eva Longoria. Right. Yeah, uh, Eva yeah. Longoria and Mark Cherry wrote letters in her defense, and Eva Longoria's letter defended Felicity while also mentioning how much she thinks another cast member was absolutely evil to her. <laughs> so she used Felicity Huffman's defense to drag a former castmate. Who, who was the castmate? Well, I believe it was Terry Hatcher. Mm, drama. Yeah. Um, Though you couldn't really tell, right? Yes, but um, from everything I've heard about the show, um, just the specifics seemed like it was about Terry Hatcher. People hated Nicolette Sheridan as well, but mm-hmm. I don't think that letter and the timing matched her. That mm-hmm. makes sense, yeah. And it, Marsha Cross, that seems wrong. Yeah. Seems wrong. Uh, we have I'm a, an actress have, detective. You can trust my instincts on this. <laughs> plus, plus, we have a mutual friend who worked on Desperate Housewives, and they said that Marsha Cross and Kyle McLaughlin um, were very nice to the writers and visited all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, that Marcia means Cross, everything. Yeah. Marsha Cross. Uh, also, Marsha Cross, I saw her when I snuck into that uh, Marion Williamson fundraiser. Oh <gasps> so, like, she doesn't seem like the kind of person who's she was there, terrorizing though? people. Yeah. Of course she was there. Yeah. Actually, that, I buy that. From it Quantico tries. to... <laughs> I don't know. Flights of fancy. <laughs> a lot of flights of fancy. I do love a flight of fancy. We are footloose but... and fancy free today. <laughs> uh, but the scamming the scam. makes me think of the beautiful scammers of Hustlers. Oh. Which okay, I we have talked to admit... about last week after we had seen early screenings. But yes. now it's out and... Everyone should have seen it. It's now, a hit. I am going to see it this weekend. Mm-hmm. I apologize. I, didn't get, I haven't seen it yet. But well, we're not going to spoil the movie for people. That's fine. You can yeah. do, You can tell me everything. I'll just still watch with like love and adoration. All these women, especially J-Lo. I love J- I, my My love for J-Lo goes way back. I, this is, and I don't know how many other like young Latina girls out there will feel the same way, but like until J-Lo played Selena in that 1997 movie, there wasn't a beautiful, sexy Latina that we all saw. And it was, it, it was, it was like, Life-changing. And I don't know that she knows how much of a cultural impact that she really had, but I think about that. You had all Natalie the time. Wood. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I did think that West Side Story was my favorite movie, my favorite movie ever. Same. I used to watch that all the time. Oh my and god, all I the time. I found out that Natalie Wood was just white. I was like, oh. She's like a little Russian, but still same. <laughs> same. I'm like, oh god. I had that exact same thought. There was nobody from Natalie. No. <laughs> what I will say about uh, Jennifer Lopez is. Even though in Selena she gives a very uh, charming performance that really holds up. When you watch Hus- Hustlers, it takes you no time at all to realize it's her best performance. Really? Yeah. That makes me really excited. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Also, by the way, happy National Hispanic Heritage Month. Oh. So J- J-Lo is like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> J- J-Lo is like, she deserves to be, uh, she deserves, she's also like just working so hard. I feel like she's somebody that's been hustling for decades. Um, I'm really excited about the prospect of her uh, performing at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Will she? Who will she do feeling so good with? Mm. That's my favorite J Lo song, by the way. Is that a weird take? No, feeling yeah. so good is great. I would go with that. Uh, I would go with get right. I would go with I'm glad. Part, the get right the the the, the saxophone that keeps yeah. playing sounds yeah. a little bit like a dying cat to me. Mm. But oh. I do think the song, the video slays. I have a friend who uh, was a gymnast, a college mm. gymnast, and her floor song used to be uh, "Let's Get Loud." Oh sure, mm. great, right? Now I can only see that as a gymnast floor song. All the on the six singles are amazing. Yeah, as far yeah. As I'm yeah. Uh, I mean, it's her first one, but like, if you had my love, is still. Oh. An iconic song. Here's yeah. a question I have about If You Had My Love. Is she singing on the chorus? 
no. I it sounds oh. to me like the demo. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, a lot of her songs have Christina Milian and Ashanti singing hooks. Right. So. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I love that, actually. <laughs> I do love Tea. that. Tea. <laughs> She's been acting forever. <laughs> uh, what was great, too, about the movie is it really actually fulfilled Hollywood's um, too often oversold promise of female empowerment in movies. It was a film which had a huge female cast and they all mostly had something to do. Yeah. Um, Julia Stiles too? Yeah. Yeah. Julia Stiles does what she has to do. Sure. Okay. She does what was required in the script. <laughs> uh, now, she's very enjoyable. Uh, Roxanne Gay thinks Constance Wu needs to work on her craft, but <gasps> I did not that, mind that, her. That's so interesting because I thought <laughs> yeah. she was good. I yeah. thought she was fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's hard because she was opposite J-Lo, who was just massive yeah. in the film. So it, everyone was overshadowed by J-Lo. Right. My only quibble with the movie is actually I think it could have done – I would have liked it even better with less of the friendship component. If it mm. if it was just mm. hustlers using each other to get ahead and there wasn't necessarily a sentimental vibe. Like I felt like I kept hearing script notes of like, we have to see them hang out and mm. enjoy a holiday together. Less right. sisterhood of the traveling pants. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Like, but, why can't women just be soulless, goddammit? Yeah. That's what I, I want. I liked, yeah. <laughs> I liked Lorraine Scafari's work yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. in the film, but it did feel like, you know, if it were... Soderbergh or a Scorsese making this film, there wouldn't be so much on their hanging out like having right. Christmas dinner together. A montage of all the times we really were there for each other. Right. <laughs> I felt like the only time it really hits is towards the end. There's a montage of their friendship. And I was like, I don't need this. I just saw the movie. Just answer me <laughs> this. Is there a point in this movie where two or more women are sitting in a tub talking to each other? Oh, no. This isn't like Captain Corelli's mandolin. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. Because that <laughs> but is. two women sit in J-Lo's fur and talk to each other. Okay. Yes. Okay. Which, as you're watching, it is both iconic and wild. Wild. Well, yeah. I'm trying to imagine staging that in like theater. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. would look awkward <gasps> seeing the actors actually stage do. Show? Yes. I mean, it's it. It feels very. There's a lot of very good blocking in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and I love. How's blocking. the choreo? Yeah, um, J Lo. Oh, when you is, see J Lo's big choreography yeah. scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's some great. of her best dancing. Period. Yeah. I would say. Speaking of hustlers, what are some of your other favorite? Movies starring women. Oh, starring ladies. Yeah, I mean, where they're I, not sitting in tubs. Uh, First Wives Club. Um, <laughs> sure. I love uh, Bridesmaids. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this note of uh, of like you know f- movies where there are sh- a lot of uh, strong women who are also kind of forcing the agenda of friendship. And Bridesmaids, I, I think it's 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 a pretty flawless movie for me. Yeah. Even though that agenda of friendship is definitely. Do you present. know what's interesting though? My favorite part of that movie, yeah. uh, aside from the. Big plane sequence, which is hilarious. Yeah. Right at the beginning of that movie, before they get to the plot, the mm-hmm. scenes with Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph when they're like scamming a yoga class oh, and yes. chilling out together. It just feels an immediately like an immediately lived in uh, uh, funny, a little bit pathetic friendship. Yeah. I love that. Like that they're a little bit too old to be scamming yes. a yoga class. Yes. You know, so I, I that part of the film of that film, I think, is uh, better done there than in Hustler. Well, I, I like that, too, uh, in that they're friends in Bridesmaids and it becomes about competing for a friend. Yeah. Right. You know, it turns like the friendship on its head. It yeah. makes it interesting. Yeah. Uh, I would say, of course, one of my favorites is the women. I was just going to yeah. say the women. I thought that was going to be my cool contribution. Go ahead. I mean, but, but <laughs> yeah. You know that's my kind of movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is I, a movie from the 30s directed yes. by George Cukor, who 
understood ladies all too well. So I don't know what we don't know about George Cukor. Moving on. I mean, <laughs> you know I love a melodrama. You know I love a George Cukor movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. him, or, him or Cirque, I could just sit down and watch sure. all of their movies. But uh, The Women is only women in the cast, and they're mm. pretty much all icons. You've got your Joan Fontaine's in there, Rosalind Russell, Norma Shear, but it's really Joan funny. Joan Crawford's Joan in there. Crawford. Um, Who has um, one of my favorite lines in cinema, uh, which is when she confronts the other women, she says, uh, there's a name for ladies like you, but it isn't used in high society outside of a kennel. <laughs> there's also a fashion show in that movie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there's a fashion show. I need, yes. I need to watch it. Yes. Uh, I it, would add uh, A League of Their Own, of course. Yes. Of course. There's a yes, horrible yes, remake yes. of The Women. Uh, stay away oh, from it. Do not speak of that. Who's in that one? Meg Ryan. <gasps> Jada Pinkett. Uh, someone right. must have forced her by gunpoint to be in it. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, Set It Off. Which sure. Uh, sure. I heard is maybe being remade by Issa Rae. Um, oh, I have concerns, but I'll you continue. You know, Ocean, Ocean's <laughs> Eight. How do we feel about Ocean's Eight? I, I felt it was sleepier than it needed to be, and it's the yeah. only movie I've ever seen where Kate Blanchett had nothing to do. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, I mean, and where'd you go, Bernadette? She at least had somewhere to go. That's right, right. Antarctica. <laughs> uh, I would actually say that Ocean's Eight is a movie that I didn't love when I saw it that mm -hmm. much. But it's been a movie that I've rewatched every time I've been on a plane. Yeah. Oh, sure. It had cute moments in it's it. It's enjoyable. Particularly for yeah. Anne Hathaway. Uh, I do watch that it's one. It's enjoyable. Do you know... Um, I will just reiterate quickly that my favorite um, female friendship in a movie is uh, Kate Blanchett and Sarah Paulson and Carol. They have a scene oh, where they yes. just sit and she's like, and uh, Sarah Paulson says to Carol, tell me you know what you're doing, romancing this younger woman. And uh, Kate Blanchett laughs and she goes... No, and she goes, no, I never did. And it's like really oh. sad and meaningful moment shared between the two of them. You can always rewatch that movie, mm -hmm. not not just at Christmas time. I'd be reticent to not mention, bring it on, even though we mentioned it before. Oh, duh. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think Kirsten and Gabrielle are so good in that. Right. And speaking of classic actresses, you know what movie I'm talking about, Lewis? Ginger Rogers, Catherine Hepburn, Lucille Ball. Eve Arden. Oh, my God. Stage door. Yes. Uh, wow, you're a stage door queen. I do yeah. see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's about actresses trying to make it. Right. This was pre-Lucy, uh, Lucille Ball. Yeah, it's like the 30s. Lucille Ball's movie career, for the most part, is pathetic. Mm -hmm. If you look, she's like on a magic carpet in one of them. Anyway, it took her a long time to become Lucy. But yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, 37. Wow. So um, it is a great movie. People should watch it. Mm -hmm. Uh I like when I become the classic film girl. No, right. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it myself. Yes, it's pleasant. No, oh, thank you. Which I would rarely use to describe you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to be remembered as a bitch. <laughs> but a loyal bitch and a hardworking bitch. It's a Naomi Campbell interview. Oh, From what? News to me. It's an interview with Barbara Walters. Um, I will send it to you. Yes, send it to me. Love it, love it, love it. And when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. Keep it. Grace. Keep it, baby. Your very first keep my it. My very first keep it. Okay, so my very first keep it is to the New England Patriots, to the NFL, to CBS Sports, 
and to Antonio Brown this week mm. because, as you guys know, Antonio Brown was accused of uh, assault and of of rape. Uh, and uh, this is this is a story that has gotten a lot of attention, but not nearly as much attention as I think it should have have been uh, getting. And more specifically, it was not enough attention to actually pull Antonio Brown from his first game as a New England Patriot. So this last Sunday, despite all the allegations, he played. He did very well. The Patriots won against the Dolphins 43-0. And the whole time I was thinking, are we not discussing this story? And uh, how is it that uh, as as uh, my, my boyfriend and his family are big Patriots fans and all of us were just sitting there like, we're cheering this guy and it feels very strange. It feels very odd and it should not have gotten to this place. He should have been suspended, I believe. He should have, uh, I understand due process and I respect that by all means. I hope this isn't too serious of a keep it. No, but <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it's very jarring as a fan. And by the way, I've mentioned this before. I'm from Texas. I, I like football. I enjoy watching football. I enjoy the sport. I think it's fun. Um, it sucks when you have players for teams that you want to root for. Uh, I'm not saying that all players are like this by any means, but you have an Antonio Brown uh, and and he's somebody that I just I don't think should be playing. And, and I, again, understand due process. But I think um, let's listen to Brittany Taylor, the woman who told this story. Let's figure out. Uh, she didn't even meet, by the way, with the NFL until Monday, until after that game. It's like they desperately wanted to play Antonio Brown in this in this game uh, just to prove that he was going to do well with the Patriots. He'd gotten traded from the Raiders the week before. Um, anyway, all this is to say, like as, as a woman who really enjoys football, I want to continue to like the the NFL. I want to continue to to make it a part of my Sundays. Uh, I think it's entertaining for sure, but I can't do it when everybody institutionally is denying uh, these women their right to to speak about these stories and for for there to be some sort of consequence. Consequence culture needs to exist in sports as well is what I'm saying. We hear a lot about it with entertainment. We hear a lot about it with politics, but we don't with sports. I saw the video of uh, when he was released from his last team and he like celebrated and sprinted away or whatever. It's, I mean, like we're supposed to actually be celebrating this person. Yeah, it's we strange. are. And there I are was elements. so disappointed too because I was uh, yeah. really happy to hear that he'd used the word cracker. Because <laughs> uh, I just people should use that word more. It's, it's such a hilarious it's word. It's hilarious. And I loved white people getting upset about it being like, this is a slur. Which also the same white people who get upset with you even saying the phrase white people yeah. are the people defending Shay Gillis's sure. right to be offensive. Yeah, so for sure. which is it? <laughs> and and you know that that's interesting too, because the cracker comment is akin with some of the other more quirky things that he's proven over the past few years, one of which is getting his feet cryogenically frozen. Hysterical. Mm -hmm. The whole helmet thing, that's funny. I'll laugh along with that. But then you get into sexual assault. I can't. I can't. There anymore. does seem to be a line. Yeah. Yes, there's a line. I think that's that line. So NFL, make it easy for us. If there are uh, players out there that are under any sort of uh, investigation like this, investigate them off the field. Don't put them on the field until we know what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know what my favorite Patriots moment is, um, and I'm not talking about the um, the ball scandal. Mm -hmm. uh, Deflate Gate. Deflate Gate. The 2008 Super Bowl. A friend was from New England. She was crazed for the Patriots. They lost to the Giants. And she left the room to sob in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny. <laughs> Sports really brings people to it really a vulnerable place. Truly does. <laughs> truly does. Wow. I right. thought I thought you were gonna mention um something about something about Tom Brady. Uh, she was crying like me when Buffy said Angel to Hell. I was like, girl, <laughs> come on. <laughs> They'll be back next season. I didn't know if Angel was coming back. <laughs>
Anyway, <laughs> Lewis, what's your keep it? Uh, mini keep it, first of all, to the fact that NBC's new streaming service, Peacock, huh. which is notably called Peacock. Uh, well, I hope the Katy Perry song is its theme. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> or at least Mrs. Peacock. Like Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock is the new icon. <laughs> um, the, part of uh, something that'll be on that streaming service is a... Saved by the Bell reboot that centered around Elizabeth Berkeley and uh, Mario, Mario Lopez. Mm -hmm. First of all, trans I, trans activist. Oh yeah, Mario Lopez. Yeah. I can't, I keep forgetting about that that he said that. Anyway, <laughs> um, those are the two least interesting cast members on that show, and I am including Screech. By I am far. sorry to say that. Mm. Um, by the, I, I love Elizabeth Berkeley. She was great in Showgirls, and I think she's actually I think an she's underrated. A cool person. I think she's a cool like person, her. an underrated actress. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but her most memorable part on Saved by the Bell is when she was addicted to pills. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, she she just never got to be that funny, whatever. Especially since Lark Voorhees was so funny on that yeah. show. If we could do something with the Lisa Turtle universe, I would be excited about that. I don't that. think Lark Voorhees looks like Lark she's, Voorhees she's anymore. a little bit out of commission as far as yeah. I know. Yes, yes. But anyway. The um, I only want to see uh, Zach and Kelly. I guess. I mean, Mark Paul Gossler and Timmy Thiessen are the, that feels the best like, actors on the that show. That feels like yeah. an obvious reboot. Why is that not happening? Well, what's yeah. interesting is... I feel like only Mario Lopez and Elizabeth Berkeley are attached at the moment, but the plot of the reboot is Zach Morris is governor of California, and uh, he's closed a lot of low-income schools, and to fix the backlash, he, they bus all the kids from the canceled low-income schools into Bayside High. So it's a story about busing. And it's, yes, and <laughs> and uh, hilarity ensuing when uh, people from different classes and races have to interact. So it's the neighborhood, but <laughs> in high school. Wow. Um, so Sorry, Kamala Harris. Sorry, Kamala Harris. <laughs> she was that girl <laughs> who had to go to Bayside. So they're in talks with Mark Paul Gosseler about joining the show, too. Oh, okay, okay. But, um, but we wow, need Tiffany Amber, too. Yeah. It'd be funny if he didn't join, by the way, and then... Uh, Zach Morris was only seen with his chair um, facing the wall and just like shaking his. Oh head. yeah! Transfer those <laughs> kids to Bayside. And he looks like the dealer and dealer no deal. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, 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 and then additionally, my other keep it this week is to. Uh, this is in jest. You know, I love award shows. I believe awards are the only things that matter. It's a syndrome I have. Um, but the Emmys are coming up. Uh, obviously. Uh, not everybody can win the award you want them to win. And in fact, that's kind of what makes award shows great, right? Like after all these years, you still want Glenn Close to get an Oscar, right? There's a suspense to these people finally being rewarded. Anyway, just a couple people who never got an Emmy that I'd like to shout out and say keep it to the Emmys. Number one, of course, Angela Lansbury, 18 losses in oh a row. God. I mean, Susan Lucci won on her 19th time. I'm just saying Angela Lansbury is in her late 200s now. <laughs> she first started a movie in 1944. That's how oh God. serious her career is. So keep it to that. Keep it to one of my favorite all-time sitcom actresses who never won, Elizabeth Montgomery in Bewitched. Mm. Never gave it to Hugh Laurie. Never gave it to, uh, 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 who played Michael Scott? Sorry, Steve, Steve Carell. Carell. So anyway, just keep those on your mind this Sunday, and maybe somehow they'll win an honorary, et cetera, in the coming days. Uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. Mm. Fabulous. Yes. That role is yeah. so like subversive, but also a classic sitcom way. Yeah. No, I be, love it. Bewitched yeah. is still a show that I can turn on. Absolutely. And Everyone's to laugh funny. At. Uh, Agnes I Moorhead, mean, Paul Lind. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Kravitz is one of the all time <laughs> yes. hilarious characters. And uh, Edna's great. I even liked uh, Second Darren. 
Oh, Dick oh, Sargent. Oh, yeah. second Darren. Noted yeah. homosexual, Dick yes. Sargent. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, the faggot jumped out. Indeed. <laughs> right. To Antarctica because because she, she cursed him and said, yes. that's, that's more I dream of Jeannie. Yeah. Uh, I dream of Jeannie. Very problematic, but also very funny. Oh, very, yeah. Very funny. Yeah. He is so gorgeous, Larry Did, did um, Barbara Billingsley ever win? Barbara Eden? No. Bar- sorry, Barbara Eden. No, ever no, 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 no. Yes. Nominated? Why did I say Barbara uh, Billingsley? So, no. Yeah. Come on, leave it to Beaver. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mess. Uh, I did watch every episode of Leave It to Beaver, too. That's weird. I was, <laughs> I was parked in front of Nick at night. And I was like, look at these neighborhoods. They look like they don't have any crime in them. Unlike mine. <laughs> uh, my keep it is to angry theater goers. Who saw Jeremy O'Harris's play, Slay Play, which is now on Broadway. Some people were upset that he held the curtain for Rihanna because she was running late to the show. And I'm sorry, I would hold my wedding <laughs> if Rihanna texted I would hold me she in was my running baby. late. I would say you are staying out there for a few more minutes. If I am dead and they are lowering the casket, I will rise out of it and say, you're not lowering this until Rihanna gets here. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy... Uh, tweet it you know she is his muse for the play he recently interviewed her for team magazine her song work like opens the play um so not to spoil it but um she's basically his muse for the show and he tweeted when dionysus is coming you hold the curtain <laughs> <laughs> some people belong in theater <laughs> uh and then they, some people were mad that she was texting during the show too but she texted him with feedback Oh. Oh, in the moment, like live feedback? Yes, live feedback. What is she, like a dramaturg? <laughs> <laughs> I would love Rihanna to start a career as a dramaturg. Incredible. <laughs> I've been researching this era. This crucible wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to make a crucible joke. Mm. Oh, perfect. Uh, Guys, Simpatico. synchronicity. Uh, someone had a very funny joke about why they don't mind young people using their phones during shows. And it's because it's always people over 40 who keep their ringers on. Oh, right. When oh, young right. people text during a Broadway show, you'd never even notice. Silence. Silent, and the screen, um, the brightness is turned all the way down. Yeah, that's right. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Anyway, great. <laughs> you are clever. Guys. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you. So, this was such a dream so to have you. Fun. And thank you thank to you Ezra Koenig for being here, too. It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that's our show. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. 
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.